you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, to Monday, so we'll do your heroes and your villains. I've got a couple of both. Uh, Matt Rendell's going to join me. He'll have a couple too. And Shower Thoughts is back on the Sporting Capital. Ah, yes, indeed. Good evening. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Uh, great to have you on board, however you're finding us, wherever you're finding us, uh, right around the country on the SEN network. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to nominate your heroes and your villains. Your move, your Harcourts on the Harcourts open line for all things real estate. Speak to Harcourts. You can text in your heroes and villains. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. 98 The former All-Australian ruckman and recruiter extraordinaire Matt Rendell to join me uh, at 7.30 to give a couple of his own. Just repeating a couple of bits of news if you haven't heard, rising star nominee for round 11. This will make Gary Lyon very, very happy. And I reckon make a lot of people very happy that there's been a groundswell of support coming for Sam DeConing and his bona fides in terms of the NAB rising star. Well, he is the round 11 nominee, 19 disposals, 9 marks, 11 intercepts. Another incredibly assured display uh, as part of, uh, he's a lock now in that defensive six for the Cats. Uh, Tom Stewart, Tim English, Brandon Ellis, Brad, uh, Brad Hill and Darcy Parrish all got perfect 10s uh, in the AFL Coaches Association votes. And Jacob Wiedering is going to be out for six weeks with a shoulder injury. There was a thought that it could have been something else, but it is a shoulder and it will need surgery and he will be out for up to six weeks. Uh, the Cricket Australia... Uh, summer of Cricket, or Cricket Australia Summer of Cricket has been uh, announced today. So just a couple of the major talking points. Perth will get the first test of the summer. There's a two-test series against the West Indies, and Perth will get the first test of the summer, not Brisbane, as it has tended to be uh, traditionally. South Africa will have a uh, three-test campaign that will begin in Brisbane uh, and will take in the Boxing Day and the New Year test. It's the first time the Proteas have had a Boxing Day test since 08 and 09. Uh, the ODIs and T20s will be against Pakistan. Um, that's for the uh, all-conquering women's team. And the restoration of international cricket in the top end with a dead old uh, one-day international series against Zimbabwe and New Zealand at Townsville and Cairns, respectively. So um, Peter Roach... Uh, was from Cricket Australia, was on with Dwayne Russell earlier today and spoke about uh, the Perth decision. The yep. test summer is going to start in Perth rather than in Brisbane. Yeah, I've I got to say I like it, Jared. It's common sense. Get that day-night uh, feel about it. Even though it's played in the day in Perth, it, it hits the... Well, that's Crash Craddock. This is Peter Roach. Yeah, no, we looked at a few different options and obviously the GABA was one of them. But we also got, we know that in future years the GABA is going to be offline for a few years for the redevelopment up there. So we thought this was a good opportunity to look at a different option. It, it doesn't mean that it's going to continue every year and it doesn't mean that the GABA is never going to be the first test again. But, you know, the opportunity to get back to Perth as soon as we could, the opportunity to have a prime time test match to start the summer and indeed two, 
what we call prime time test matches with the Adelaide Day Night Test to start the summer is something that um, we thought we'd like to explore. And you know, pleasingly, the Gabba, you know, in a technical way, has still got the first test of the series, albeit uh, albeit the third test match of the summer, the first one against South Africa. Uh, Peter Roach from Cricket Australia, after the schedule for the summer was released, Wayne also asked if uh, uh, the Aussie test players would be available for the BBL summer. Yeah, we think there's a small window where they that can happen. Yes, we do. But what we do know is that um, you know our teams sort of cross over a little bit as well. So the you know the non-white ball players, international players, will get a fair crack at the BBL at the start of the summer. Um, and then yeah, there's a small window at the end when all players uh, you know have some availability, and um, that gives a good opportunity for the competition. Uh, so the summer cricket will actually start in August uh, at Riverway Stadium in Townsville. There'll be a series between Australia and Zimbabwe, 28th of August uh, and then the 31st and then September 3rd, all those games in Townsville. Then Kazali Stadium in Cairns will get uh, three one-day internationals for the blokes v uh, the Kiwis and then it will be a T20 series played at Metricon in the Gold Coast, uh, two T20 series against the West Indies. And then at the Gabba, Monica Oval, twice, there will be a T20 series v England from October, uh, in early October to mid-October. The men's T20 World Cup, then the group stages start uh, on the 16th, and then that goes through to the final on November 13th. The one-day international series v England from November 17th, 19th, 22nd at Adelaide, SCG and MCG. The test series against the West Indies, Perth on the 30th of November. Second test, Adelaide, December 8th, and then against South Africa, 17th, the first test at the Gabba in December. And then Boxing Day, of course, and Jan 4th, the third test, the New Year's test at the SCG, the pink test. And then a one-day international series versus South Africa starting on Jan 12th, the Blundstone Arena, 14th, the SCG, Jan 17th at Perth Stadium, uh, and so on it goes. The women's ODI series versus Pakistan, Jan 16, 18, and 21, and then a series, a T20 series against Pakistan, Jan 24, 27, 29. Uh, Let's get into this. one 736 Harcourt's open line for your heroes and your villains. couple from me first. Uh, the heroes was anybody that had anything to do with what happened at the MCG yesterday. Finally felt like footy was back in earnest. It was everything that we have grown up loving about the game. Uh, big rivals, big stadium, big crowd. It was just beautiful to be there. It was good for the soul, I reckon, when we've been getting carried away in the minutiae of umpire this and dissent that and carry on about whether a 50 was a 50. And I know those things are important. I get that. But hasn't it just drained you a little bit, um, the constant conjecture around those kind of things, the peripheral? This was just, just footy at its finest, 
Footy is nothing without the fans. The fans are the lifeblood of the game. Without the fans, the game doesn't have that same life. It doesn't have the same heart. It doesn't have the same soul or substance. So it was just a treat to be there yesterday. I finally just felt like footy was back the way that we'd been hoping that it would be. Uh, so that's a hero nomination for me. Uh, Frio, Justin Longmuir was saying they got ahead of themselves. And they've had two losses over the last couple of weeks to teams that they should have beaten. 15 points down at halftime. They'd kick just two goals. They get a spray. They come out. They win clearances. They create turnovers. Four goals from clearance. A heap from turnover. 12 second half goals. Justin Longmuir tactically brilliant. Whether it was Logue on May or Aish on Oliver. Darcy's game on Gorn. Uh, the ruck combo and Rory Lobb playing, I reckon, his best game for Frio. If he and Tabernet can fire consistently, then they can get over their scoring woes and maybe get up into a top four scoring team. They've got the defence. They just need the attack. Um, but that, to stop Melbourne's run of 17 straight wins and to restrict them to just one second half goal, that is absolutely worthy of a hero nomination any day of the week. The Pies have beaten two top four teams in a row. You cannot dismiss that. Uh, the Blues were gallant in defeat, especially after losing Jacob Wiedering. But there were moments in that game, and I spoke to Mick McGuan about them a little earlier. John Noble, the rundown tackle. Tyler Brown's tackle on Sard, and then his follow-up smother on Carroll. It creates the turnover to get into the hands of Cox to kick their first goal of the quarter after Carlton got the first of the last. And then the very next entry, he gets the reward because he was front and square when they needed him to be. Uh, quick snap, back-to-back goals. Uh, and I reckon those moments from Tyler Brown made the difference. So there's a hero nomination for the Pies overall, for Tyler Brown too, uh, and John Noble a couple of weeks in a row doing the desperate things that uh, came up, uh, that, that mattered most when the game was on the line. The Suns last month it should not be underestimated either. They've beaten the Swans and the Dockers. So if you have a look at the, uh, the AFL ladder, um, have a look at the AFL ladder at the moment. Dockers are sitting third. Uh, Swans are sitting in seventh. So they've beaten the Swans and the Dockers, and they also beat the Blues back in round four. But they've won three out of their last four, and they beat the Hawks comprehensively uh, up in Darwin over the weekend. Um, Stuart Jew doing a brilliant job of coaching for his career. Uh, and they have a dream run home. They play just two teams um, that were in the top eight. And then it, for the rest of the season, they only play two top eight teams as it currently stands. So they have got a very, very good run. Could this be the year? I don't know if they make the eight, but I'm agreeing with Dwayne Russell earlier today that they will have their best season yet. Sam Doherty has a standing hero nomination every week. As we know, he's come back from his second bout of testicular cancer, but go and have a look at some of the body on the line moments, going back with the flight, the will uh, to just give his all in moments of courage and desperation. Going back with the flight in the last quarter, he landed really horribly but got up and, and kept going. Um, so he is just a standing nomination. And we're thinking of Bobby Hill, who was announced over the weekend, had been diagnosed with testicular cancer um, as well. The Swans come back from 33 points down in the second. They were 31 points down in the third. Buddy was brilliant. Three last quarter goals. Chad Warner can play. Don't worry about what happened at the end of the game. Worry about what happened during the game with him. Uh, and he is a star on the rise as well. We'll get to Buddy on Cochin in the Villains, I reckon. Uh, the Lions come back. 30 points down they were in the first quarter. They have the 
most fearsome arsenal, I think, from a scoring point of view in the competition. They're the number one scoring team in the comp. Ranked sixth in defence. If they can get that up into the top four, they are the real deal. Cam Rayner is showing exactly why he was the number one pick in his draft year in 2017. 25 disposals and a goal. They're putting him into the middle more. He is going to be a clearance beast, and then he will give you eternal nightmares inside forward 50. He is just getting started. And Lockie Neal's having a better year than his Brownlow year. 39 disposals, two goals. Uh, he was the difference. And the Lions came back from um, conceding six out of the first seven goals uh, of that game. Uh, Western United, the team that no one knew existed, have won the A-League uh, title. So congratulations to them. Jai Henley, uh, Hindley as well for winning the Giro d'Italia. The first Aussie to do it, just the second to win a major after Cadell and the Tour Defence. Nottingham Forest back in uh, the top flight for the first time in 23 years. So those are some hero nominations. I've got some villains as well, but let's get to yours. Uh, Rob's in Malvern. Rob, um, and this is just giving me a little bit of grief again. That's good, this system. Uh, come on, mate. There we go. Come on now. There we go. Uh, Rob in Malvern. G'day, Rob. Hero or villain? Uh, I've got the AFL as a villain, actually. I... Josh Gibkes, what does he have to do to get a uh, Rising Star nomination? What do you reckon? Who was that, sorry? Josh Gibkes. Yeah, well, he was fantastic in the first half, wasn't he, on, on Buddy? And then they swung him forward, and um, and he kicked the last goal of the game. Did he kick one or two? I'm just, my memory's just failing me. Uh, he just kicked one. Kicked the yeah, one. Goal is oh, he's, yeah, yeah. He, he, they have, I mean... There'll be a lot of clubs that may be thinking, gee, should we have had a closer look at him? Uh, top 10 yep. draft pick, but yeah, that, that's some shrewd recruiting from Richmond. And I think, I don't think you'll have to wait too long, Rob, for him to get um, his nomination. Sam DeConing's run of recent form has been undeniable. Um, not to take anything away from Josh Gibkes, because you're 100% right that he should be getting a, a, a nomination soon, and I reckon he will. But DeConing this week, and I reckon it'd be Gibkes sooner rather than later, mate. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the call, Rob. Really appreciate it. Dave's in Richmond. Hero or villain, Dave? Oh, hi there, Sam. Sam, isn't it, tonight? It is. Thank you. Good. Uh, villain, I wanted to uh, talk a bit about what's been happening after these big games with all the violence and drinking and so forth going on. I just think Jackie Felgate puts it up on her Instagram. Basically, everything happens during the day, every day. Do we need to move these clashes between the big four clubs to, like, earlier day starts and do what they do in England and actually restrict some of the consumption of alcohol because it's... We've had one fan get belted over the head with a didgeridoo in ICU. Don't know how he's going now. And then did you see that awful images of that person getting beaten up on Hoddle Street as well? Yeah, I did. Um, as I said, uh, they were saying that it was a brawl. No, it was four cowards uh, kicking a bloke on the ground uh, and one, the other mate, trying to get him out of there. Um, I don't know yeah. how it started. I don't know who's to blame. I actually don't really care. Um, it doesn't look good. Um, obviously, those things are happening out the front of nightclubs and pubs uh, all around Australia, which doesn't excuse it, doesn't make it right, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, keep. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be taking it seriously. But I really do believe, Dave, that that is a very small minority. Um, as Damien Harwick pointed out, of the 50 people kicked out last week, more than half of them were for vaping. So, yes, there are people that behave poorly uh, at the football, and when you see it, report it have them removed. That's what security are there for. That's what police are there for. Will we ever and should we ever look to do what they do in the UK? Absolutely not. That is the joys of our country and the joys of our great games that we play here, whether it be AFL or rugby league, that you go with your mate who barracks the other stand, uh, team. You sit there, you have a bit of banner and a bit of fun. 
uh, and then you all walk out together after all having sat together. If we ever have to get to that stage where they put different fans in different locations, I think we pack it all up. Because as I said earlier, the game is nothing without the fans and the way in which they engage 95%, 99% of them in the right way. Unfortunately, there's always going to be that element that don't care about anyone else, have, um, don't have the, whether it be the emotional intelligence or just the decency of humanity to care about anybody else, and they will try and ruin it for everybody else. Um, but we cannot let though we cannot start governing for the worst of us. Uh, I reckon, Dave. I think Sam, I think some of these bigger games though, because it only happens with these four clubs. They need to be oh, that, earlier. That, that wouldn't spot. that wouldn't be true, Dave. There'd be there'd be other. You know, there'd be other flog fans uh, of every club that that would you know but just it's go there and a try. Lot and... In these four. It's happening a lot between these four and people getting pissed up before the game. It needs to start the game early and it finishes before it gets dark because that's when the problems are occurring. Yeah, I reckon that's a long bow to draw, Dave. I don't. I reckon no matter what teams you'd have playing at a night time, you'll have fans that will go. Well, why don't we meet at the pub earlier? Now, as I said, ninety-nine percent of them will do that, and they'll be fine, and they won't cause an issue for anybody. But there will be an element that just are not decent people. They're, they just don't care about anyone else but themselves who, who will create moments like these uh, that will have us asking questions like these that, that you are. But, mate, I always like to hear from you, and I appreciate the call. I don't think we're at that stage yet. Um, there are mechanisms in place to deal with people in the ground. And what they do, what they do after the game... I mean, that's not the AFL's... That, that, that's not really the fault of the AFL and, and, and what they can be held accountable for. People have to be held accountable for their own actions. Um, yeah, and it does put a, 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 an unsavoury note on what was a bloody good day uh, at the MCG. Uh, your heroes, your villains, we'll do a few more of them. I've got some villains up my sleeve, but I'd love to hear yours. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Sporting Capital, SEN. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, keep those heroes and villain nominations coming through. Brian off the text, hero Daniel Rioli, what a year. Probably in the top three for the BNF this year. Oh, yeah, he is brilliant to watch in full flight coming off halfback. That's, um, that's an inspired coaching move from Damien Hardwick. Yeah, he is in scintillating form, Daniel Rioli. And then villain, Daniel Rioli, uncharacteristically panicked in the dying minutes of the game, 20 metres out and coughed up a goal that cost the Tigers the win. Yeah, they got sloppy in the second half, didn't they, the Tigers? Um, a lot of skill errors. Uh, I think Kane showcased a, a few of them. I don't know if it was on the uh, round so far show he does or on the Sunday footy show. But, yeah, some ill-discipline acts in the second half uh, and then a fair few costly turnovers as well. Uh, 99 out of 100, I guess I'll take that result, but he picked a bad time for his only error of the year. Dean says, heroes, Boston Celtics, who are through to the NBA Finals to take on the Golden State Warriors. A four-point win over Miami Heat in Game 7 today. Nottingham Forest and Fremantle are his heroes. Villains, West Coast Eagles and Thugs fighting at the MCG. Hawks, disgraceful effort. Uh, Dean is a hawker, so he'll be hurting uh, after they went down in pretty insipid fashion uh, to the Suns uh, up in Darwin. Uh, Joey's in Roeville, another Hawks man. G'day, Joe. G'day, Sammy. How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. Now, people who are going to hear me now, they're probably going to not believe what I'm going to be saying, but I think Marbia Joel is a hero for me this week, and actually probably for the year, to be honest, because um, best thing he ever did was leave Richmond. He's taking his game to the next level, getting the game every week. He's left the, like a big powerhouse team, you know, instead of playing in front of 70,000, 80,000 every week, he's probably playing in front of, what, 15, 20? But he's taking his career to the next level, I think. And um, 
Hawthorne definitely the villains. And uh, I had an early night, Sammy. I actually went to bed pretty early. When I saw Daniel Howe on the ruck against Weeds, that was it for me. That was it. Not his fault. We didn't have anything else, but... Yeah, no, not it, good enough. Yeah, tough day at the office uh, for those guys who had to fill in for our absent rucks. But you're right about Marvio Chol, uh, right in the conversation for, as one of the recruits of the year. 23 goals for the year. And Levi Casbold, if you want to talk about inspired uh, recruiting choices, getting him up um, after Carlton delisted him, he's kicked 21 goals for the year. And they're doing it without Ben King, who is their showpiece, the jewel in the Gold Coast Suns crown. Uh, so that's a great nomination. Um, Recruit of the year. You, you've got to be. It's got to be one of uh, Will Brody, Marby or Chole, maybe even Levi Casbolt, uh, Tyson Stengel, or now I had one the other day. Who am I thinking of? I'm missing someone. You'll be able to tell me zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Uh, the recruits of the year who have that. But there's one I'm missing. I, I, I brought this up the other day, and I'm the mind's gone blank. You might be able uh, to tell me. Uh, some villains of mine. Um, I don't want to hear the word prohibited contact ever again. I have to go and have a look at the rule book and find out what it was. Um, Adelaide, I think, are a villain nomination. At tactically not putting any work into Tom Stewart. Um, I told you before about the numbers of he and, and Sam DeConing. They had 28 intercepts between them and 25 marks. Only two of those marks were contested. So we've seen what happens when, if you lot Justin Longman, you put the work into Stephen May. Um, to take out where the biggest threats are. And they don't win that game with Tom Stewart without Tom Stewart dominating the way that they did. Adelaide's kicking let them down for the second week in a row for goal. And Richmond can get a villain nomination too, coughing up that 31-point lead. The umpires didn't cost you that game. You did. Uh, Buddy didn't like that with Cochin. That's not a good look for the game at all. Um, the Eagles, in their last seven games, their percentage, 39.3%. That needs a broom taken to the joint. And everybody now at the Eagles playing for their lives, playing for their livelihoods. The Weedering injury is a really disappointing one too. Um, he's having such a good season. Should It would have been a lock for all Australian. And Port Adelaide Nessonen, is that one of the worst games of the year? Not a goal scored in the final quarter. Yuck. Hey, back after this with Matt Rendell. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. He's um, issued a missive, a filmed video message to members in which he's pretty much denounced a wholesale review of Essendon's football operation. Most importantly, recruiting and list management is going to be looked at. Paul Brescia makes the point that Essendon are obviously going to be in a good position come the draft and they need to look at how they handle that. He's also talked about extra help for the coaches and extra work needed among the coaching department, specifying skill issues um, among the playing group. He's also apologised to members for not announcing to them that the club had re-signed Xavier Campbell, which they did about uh, six weeks ago. Carolyn Wilson, uh, not too long ago on Channel 9 News, uh, the story that uh, Paul Brasher... um, the Essendon president has announced to members via a video that there will be a football department review. This will be their second review uh, in less than two years. In fact, uh, in two years, 2020 was when they uh, did their last review. Um, so that, yeah, that's uh, that's a big story coming out of Essendon tonight. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number. Just two wins for the year. We saw the vision of Dyson Heppel and Darcy Parrish uh, involved in, shall we say, a spirited conversation that Darcy Parrish seemed to be walking away from uh, on several occasions um, at one moment in time during the uh, the loss to Port Adelaide. 
They've had major issues this year. Haven't been able to score, and they haven't been able to defend. And uh, they've uh, their intent has been questioned. And you know, it was Mick McGowan who only moments ago uh, in the Maccas run was saying that he sees a, just a refusal from people to adapt a, uh, to a role uh, and to play a role that the team requires. And ego getting in the way of. Um, people doing what's best for the team as opposed to themselves. So that'll be fascinating uh, to see what comes out of another football department review at the Essendon Footy Club. Just before we get to Matt Rendell, John's on the road who's been waiting patiently. Um, John, I was asking for the recruit of the year. The name I was missing from the names I gave was George Hewitt, uh, along with Marby Orchol, Will Brody, and Tyson Stengel. Who have you got for me? I would have thought Lipinski would have to be up there. That's a good one. Terrific for Collingwood. I mean, he's not a, a huge star, but he plays his roles. He uh, gets limited opportunities to kick goals, but he does. And uh, I think he's been fantastic for Collingwood. Well, I think that's a great nomination, John, and I greatly appreciate you ringing in to make it. Uh, always appreciate this man's time. Uh, former All-Australian, Ruckman, he's a recruiter um, extraordinaire as well. Matt Rendell uh, joins us again. Matty, hello, mate. Uh, good evening, Sammy. Uh, before we get into um, some of the more juicier stuff from the round of footy, uh, have you got a hero and a villain for me? Oh, how many heroes have I got? How many <laughs> have I to have? Hey, as many well, as gonna, you want. Well, I'm going to put a little category here. Uh, G- uh, Gold Coast Suns forward line. Rankin, Ainsworth, Roses and Jeffrey with Chol and Casbolt are going to cause massive havoc on the way home. They are just starting to look awesome, uh, especially. Uh, I don't know which way Roses, Ainsworth, and Rankin are going at the moment. And Jeffrey, can he do some oh. stuff? You got to put put player on him. Um, and I'm going to give him. A, I think Charles been the trade of the off season, um, especially with King going down. He's been fantastic, Charles. Uh, and the other two who deserve a real mention here for Gold Coast Suns: Ballard and Collins. Now they've been at the back mm. pump for a few years here, Ballard. Came in virtually as an 18-year-old and went to centre-half back. He was about a 194, 195, but really skinny. Did a pretty good job, really, uh, being undersized on a lot of players. And now he really looks like an AFL player. And Collins is just so hard to get a kick on. They're doing a lot of things right. Uh, the other bloke I want to give a special mention to is Sean Darcy. Freo Ruckman. Um, fantastic on, uh, Absolutely. on the weekend. Uh, he's an interesting one, Darcy. So he... he played and trained with our VF, Collingwood VFL team before the draft, so that um, that year. Um, and we like what we saw, but we had Grundy, Cox, uh, Lynch already, and I think maybe even Whitson Keats as well. And uh, we decided not to go with him because we just thought, well, he's, he's not going to play. Grundy was still young there and, and, and dominating. Uh, but he's ended up going to Freo and he's forged a, a great career there, winning their best and fairest. And uh, and Cox, have, of course, was there as well with us, with Collingwood. So, um, look, he's forced himself to be in the top two or three best ruckman in the comp, even though he still looks a tad overweight, Sammy. But uh, isn't he having a, a great year? And the other one I want to give a big tick to is to Koenig, Sam Koenig at... Uh, oh, star. Uh, so... So I did trade radio with Soss last year and Damien Barrett, and uh, he kept singing his praises. He hadn't played a game by then, I don't think, or might have played one, but uh, he said, watch this bloke. He's going to be an absolute gun when uh, Geelong finally played him. So, And he's been proven right, Soss.
Yeah, he has. Just on the, the Freo Rock comment, I think that was Rory Lobb's best game too. Uh, the three goals from him. Schultz kicked four, I know. But uh, as we know, Matty, if you're going to win premierships, you've got to have key forwards that you can set your watch to. And that when you need that get-out mark, that, that kick down the line or a mark inside forward 50. And that's, you know, Wiedering's absence um, in the second half uh, after going down with that shoulder uh, yeah. was telling because Collingwood, who don't take many marks inside 50, were able to take a lot. Darcy and Lobb combo, 39 hitouts to 27. Gorn and Jackson, 31 disposals to 35. 13 marks to 9. 15 score involvements to 10. 4 goals to nil. So that combo had its way um, with arguably the best ruck yeah. combo, probably just ahead of Marshall and Ryder in the competition. Yes. Yeah, but he's hard to catch, Lob. I mean, the week before against Collingwood, he was oh. much good. Look, he's, if, if you could tap into his mind and get him to come with that, the right attitude week in, week out, I mean, he's a player. There's no doubt about that. Hmm. But um, he he uh, he was on song with the rest of the team. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm going to get next week. That's the problem with uh, Lob. Where Darcy, I do know what I'm going to get week in, week out. How did you enjoy yesterday? 80,000 MCG. Um, I felt like for the first time that footy was back in the way that we yeah. loved growing up uh, and for most of our lives. It was just so good with that many people well, you know in full voice yeah. and, and it was a close game. Uh, old-time rivals, new life bred into that old rivalry. Um, it had a bit of everything, a bit of, uh, a, a bit of uh, fizz in it, a bit of spite. Um, some great goals yeah. kicked, some big marks taken, and 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 plenty of twists and turns uh, to keep yourself and heroic acts all along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, look, we knew that um, it was going to be a big crowd because it's Collingwood's home game, so they were going to turn up. And you, and the Carlton people have come out of the woodwork. Yeah, uh, it's been 20 years, but they've come out of the woodwork, and you knew they were going to turn up. Yes, uh, for this game. So uh, no, that's uh, it, it's really. Sam, it's really a shot in the arm that AFL needed as far as attendance is going for the year, wasn't it? It was. I mean, they were saying probably 85, but uh, Sunday afternoon probably killed five anyway. So, uh, look, it, it was a, you know, hopefully the rest of the season that, um, you know, off that excitement around that game that the crowds, people start coming back to the footy more. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating, I think, when the next rights deal comes about where they prioritise, where do we think marquee time slots are. It would seem the old Saturday Arvo just isn't it anymore with the way that people's no. lives are, are being lived and whether it's a clash with junior sport or, or working more days of the week than we ever have. Um, I'm not sure, but we know Thursday night footy is going to be a permanent fixture. Hopefully, um, but it should be already. It's ridiculous it that it's be. not, I but it certainly will be not. by 2024. So, and then Friday's prime time, whether or not it's Saturday night and we stop putting two Saturday night games up against each other, maybe that Sunday afternoon slot is more is easier for people to get to. Yes, well, uh, you know, you could assume that uh, probably that late Sunday afternoon one, uh, you know, the, the Perth team sort of half shared out. So it's afternoon for them, but it's uh, evening, you mm. know, going into evening for us. But... Um, you know, they're going to take up a bulk of those. Uh, they wouldn't be happy about that. But, um, yeah, maybe that, um, you know, two, what is it, a one, is it 1.45 start or what, one something start on a Sunday? Well, that game uh, was 3.20. It, it, that's a good time. Yeah. Oh, that was a 3.20, sorry. Yeah. yeah, okay. 
Yeah. And so James. 20 game, you reckon, yeah. Yeah. James in Bandura saying you've forgotten about Anzac Day already, Sam. No, James, we expect that kind of crowd from Anzac Day. What we haven't been getting yeah. is those kind of crowds to just a, a regular home and away match. So yeah. certainly not yeah. forgetting that. Hey, what do you make of the news? Uh, Carolyn Wilson just broke uh, the video released by Essendon President Paul Brasher saying that he will conduct an immediate review into the football department at Essendon, focusing on recruiting, list management, uh, help for the coaches. Um, uh, they need, they've got skill issues that need to be addressed and he's apologised uh, for not announcing properly uh, oh, the, uh, the, the re-signing of Xavier Campbell. But this is their, they did a review in 2020 and now we've got another one happening and we're just halfway yeah. through 2022. Oh, I'm not big on this. Not, not when you've already done one and you've, you, you've put the, your people in and they had a really good year last year. Look, um, I don't know if I spoke to you, Sammy, or I spoke to someone else. I said... You know, you need your best players playing. Stringer got him into the finals last year, basically. Yep. He had a super last eight, nine games. And the bloke they missed desperately is Tipper. Yes. Now he's retired. The Tipper, every time Tipper scored a goal, they won a game. So he hasn't played for a year and a half, and he's, and he's finished now. Yep. So, um, look, and, and the bloke, the, the player that um, is really important to him, well, I see him as really important, but... He's never got to mention his Langford playing in the middle. Agreed. Midfielder, tough, toughest team, can do jobs, and it allows Shield and Merritt you know, to get on the outside because he plays on the inside. So I think they're missing. But they never addressed their key back. Oh, Stewart played really well last year. He hasn't played a game this year. I don't think either is a key back. Uh, they really didn't fix up. They needed to go and find a really good key back who could hold up there, especially since they made the final. They need to find one in the off-season. They didn't do it. Uh, so Laverde and those blokes, you know, undersized playing on those big blokes, doing good jobs. But, um, you know, they're just missing four or five of their regular players who make them so much better. Um, and so I'm just thinking, you know, you're jumping at shadows. Uh, sure, do a review into the list management and recruiting, but I would have thought that list management and recruiting is pretty good. You know, the Perkins uh, read... And, Cox. Uh, Cox. Cox. Yep. Now Cox hasn't played either. He had a no. So, last year. so Stewart's There's only one, so. yeah. Stewart's only played the three they're... games, and you're right. They're missing four out of their top five goal scorers from last yeah. year. So I, yeah. I I agree with you all on that. But there is something that's just not quite there. And Mick McGuan said to me earlier tonight that. It, his issue with them is it seems like there's too much ego and that players just refuse to play a role in which they're being asked to play. Uh, and Langford, you're right, he's one of those players who plays his role and is the selfless one in the yeah. midfield, like whether it be a, yeah. a Lambert at, at Richmond or um, you know Hewitt at Carlton, uh, guys like this. Um, but there's and, something else that's not quite there because at least yeah, yeah. what you'd want the fans are even saying to us, Matty, understand all that, but all we want to do is walk away saying we're proud of your efforts today, and they haven't been able to say that all year. No, they've been hot and cold. They've been hot and cold with that. I like what they did. You know, they got smashed early against. That looked like it was going to blow out. Geez, they fought hard to the end of that, uh, uh, the game on the weekend against Port. Fair point, That yep. might be a little bit of a turning point for them. The other one they missed too, and he's just come back, is Jones. He was really good last year in the forward line. Yes. So their, their forward line's been decimated, really, of their best players. Uh, heavy reliance on Wright. Um, and, you know, he's not really the P. He's better being the second man, but they really haven't got anyone else since, uh, you know, they threw Hooker down there. Hooker retired, and Hooker took a lot of the uh, grunt down the forward line. So, But, I, yeah, I agree with you. 
and the and the supporters were the same. They need to bring more. They need to bring the grunt week in week out, and they've been really spasmodic with that. And that's back to the coaching, back to the coaching group to make sure the team comes with the grunt week in week out, win, lose or draw. Uh, what are some of the performances that impressed you over the weekend? There were, we had comeback wins uh, all over the place, whether it be uh, Frio against Melbourne, uh, whether it be. Um, whether it be the Swans against Richmond or the Lions come back um, against the yeah. Giants, their scoring power at Brisbane is more... They've got the most potent forward line and they still don't have Joe oh, Dano back. They have the most potent forward line in the competition, surely. Oh, clear, clear, clearly. Uh, you, know, they all, you know, they all take a turn. Uh, this time it was McCarthy with uh, five, did he kick? Um, they're, they're all Four. capable... Before he kicked um, and uh, Rayner and Cameron, I mean, and then you throw in the tools when they come back. I mean, they're just so capable, aren't they? And um, and and the beauty of the game that's played today, Sam, is teams are going fast. Mm. Finally, finally, yes, they're all doing it. Yep. Richmond's led the way. Richmond led the way. Everyone else was really slow to pick it up. Brisbane was the first one to follow Richmond when Fagan came in. Um, and now we're seeing there the two, you know, Richmond won all the flags. Uh, Melbourne did it last year, went really quick. When you've got guns in your forward line, why wouldn't you go quick and get uh, agree. one out yeah. results? I mean, their guns up there, they're going to win more than 50% of the ball. If that's the case, you're just going to score more than 50, which means you're probably going to win the game. So, so it's been, a, been slow for the teams to do it, but the teams are doing it. It's just, it's been exhilarating football this year. I spoke on... Uh, uh, SE in South Australia. I do a little gig there on a Wednesday, Sam, with Kimbo and Rucci. And the first thing I said, at the, you know, as the season was started, I said, I think this is going to be uh, the best year of footy in my life. And um, I don't think I've seen anything this year to change my mind. Well, I mean, I, there, there is, you don't know what's going to happen week to week, game to game, except for Eagles <laughs> North, probably. But the rest of them, anyone can win them. Oh, that's right. And I said before, Gold Coast Suns, their last month, they've beaten the Swans and the Dockers uh, and the Hawks. They've also beaten the Blues earlier this year. The Pies have just beaten two top four teams uh, in a row, yet inexplicably lost to West Coast. So I think you're right. I mean, on any given, you know, that old line from the movie, Any Given Sunday, on any given day, um, you can win or lose. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's and, and, so exciting about and the this year. Bit is, Sammy, the crucial bit is, if you lose some key players, it, geez, it makes it difficult for you because it's such an even competition. And, we, and Carlton are going to be under massive pressure with yeah, metering out. Yep. We're going to see that. Uh, and, and, and McKay are still a way off. Uh, Jack Barton's, I'm not sure when he's due back, but this buy can't come quick enough for, uh, for Carlton. Uh, probably Essendon. And, and uh, maybe they can get some troops back. Eagles as well. Uh, so if, if you lose three or four of your better players, boy, it, bring, it makes it difficult for you because it's such a tight comp. Yeah, I mean, and for Carlton, they've got Essendon after the bye, so that won't be as big a, a headache for that defence. But then they do have Richmond, um, so I'm not sure if Lynch comes back then, but there's Rewalt to contend with. Uh, and then they've Ooh. got the Dockers, who have got the two tall forwards that are starting to find um, a, a little bit of something in Lobb and Tabiner. And then they've got St Kilda, uh, West Coast, and then uh, Geelong. Ooh. So there's there's tough games to come the, for them where that defence will be under pressure. Yeah. 
And I expect North and West Coast to be much better in the second half of the year. West Coast obviously get some players back, uh, seem to you know, get over their COVID. Apparently the game on the weekend was the first time they did have a COVID-related with, withdrawal. So um, I expect them to cause a bit of havoc on the one they're obviously going to finish down the bottom there. But um, and, and teams like the Crows, you know, have been super competitive. Um, you know, they've got North and West Coast twice. So if they can cause a few upsets on the way home, <laughs> they're horribly hard to beat. Hey, Matt, before I let you go, so how much do we take out of the tactical uh Maneuvers that were employed by Justin Longmuir. Yes, they had a few things go their way, like May uh, being down. Petrarca was crook. Um, uh, no Langdon, no McDonald. Um, but have they shown yeah. us a little bit about what the blueprint might be to dismantling the reigning premiers, the Dockers? Well, the first time I saw Melbourne vulnerable was last year, Crows against the Crows in Adelaide. The mm. Crows had no right to get close to them. The youngest team in the comp. And they took the game on through the middle of the ground and started spotting up blokes. They were settled back there, you know, and they loved the zone off, especially Lever and the like. And they just kept hitting up players through the middle. Mm. And, um, you know, won the game by a point. I think it was their first loss last year to Melbourne about this time of the year. Um, And then Freo have, you know, caused all sorts of havoc. Maybe out of the centre square in that, but why has it taken so long for someone to tag Oliver? It just staggers me mm. that this doesn't happen week in, week out. And Ace did a super job. I don't reckon he would have tagged anyone before in his life. And he was magnificent playing on him. It's not that hard. Um, so, took him right out of the game. And, you know, you can you take Petrarca and, and um, you know, obviously it was Crook. You take Petrarca and Oliver out of their game. And, you know, they come back to the field a bit. And, you, and you've got to move that ball quickly. Um uh, especially with uh, May out, or you'll miss a week, but um, uh, you've got to move that ball quickly mm. into that forward line. You can't go s- slow, um, and that's what they did. They managed to control the clearances, really, and and you can get it in there quick if you control the clearances. Yep. And that's what they did. Hey, Matty, love catching up with you. Thanks for making yourself available to me again. Uh, speak to you again soon. No worries, Sam. All right, thanks, mate. Matt Rendell, uh, Footy SA every Sunday. If you are in South Australia, uh, tune in. Uh, Have a great time uh, doing that with that man, uh, Matt Rendell. Uh, Come back with a few of your texts to finish off the hour before we hand over to BP. Another hour and a half edition for BP of the first serve with the French Open uh, getting into its second week. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Uh, about to have a little one-and-a-half-hour hiatus as we hand over to BP for an hour-and-a-half edition of the first serve. French Open get, getting set to start its second week, and then I'll be back uh, with more Sporting Capital from 9.30 to 11, and Shower Thoughts is back uh, off the text. Hi, Sammy. Love your work, but I'm sorry. Shower Thoughts is your worst segment idea ever. The only thing that could have been worse is Thoughts from the Throne. Yeah, I thought about that. But the imagery it creates is much the same in both. That's Greg in Clorinda. And after that, Alex says, yes, Shower Thoughts is back. So, you know, 50-50 split on that one, Greg, but I appreciate your feedback nonetheless. Uh, hey, Sam, another great Monday show. Love listening in. My hero this week is both umpires who showed huge amounts of courage and composure in crucial late-game situations. I think it's important to highlight these moments of praise for these umpires because given 
the choice. I don't think many football lovers would put their hand up to be in that position and show the composure and professionalism that was shown over the weekend. So Tom from Eildon with some support from the umpires. As a member who lives in regional, uh, two hours from Melbourne, I work a standard 9 to 5.30 Monday to Friday job. I can't attend Thursday and Friday night games. It's not just me. There are thousands of regional members who get the trains, drive down every weekend. We go Saturday, Sunday. It might be good for TV, but don't ignore the fans who attend the games. I'll be one of thousands of regional members who has no reason to keep their membership and attend games if uh, my team gets a bunch of Thursday night, Friday night games we can't attend. So giving voice to the regional, which I love. So thank you for that. BP up next, first serve. Apologies. Uh, welcome to the Sporting Capital. We just had major technical issues, and I apologise for those. Apologise for the dead air. Uh, unfortunately, um, we just had an issue that uh, I actually couldn't fix. But it is great to be back. Uh, well under BP. Another cracking addition uh, of the first serve, or well, sometimes you just have to laugh, otherwise you'll start flipping tables. Um, we've got plenty to come in the next hour and a half. Uh, cannot do it without you. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number. Uh, if you had a hero or a villain, which we normally like to do on a Monday, you can nominate those. one three hundred seven three six seven three six or zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. So coming up. Uh, in the next hour, going to catch up with a, a man who uh, his basketball knowledge and pedigree is of the highest order. Uh, Sam Vecini, who is a senior NBA writer at the Athletic, and if you haven't um, listened to his podcast, The Game Theory, uh, you just haven't done yourself the favour that you should have if you're an NBA fan. So, really looking forward to catching up with him. Jordan Canales is going to come in and wrap up the A League Grand Final. Western United in their third year in the competition. Uh, win the title uh, against Melbourne City, the reigning champions. And it's amazing to think that a team that we had people ringing up during the week saying they actually didn't know existed. Um, So that's a phenomenal performance in just their third year. So we'll talk uh, a little bit more uh, about that. Shower Thoughts is back. We're going to get into that in just a moment uh, as well. And and a few things coming out of uh, the major footy shows tonight, which I'll bring you as well. But um, why don't we start with this as we just get things collaborated here if this will actually work, that'd be uh, very, very handy. Um, Paul Brasher has announced tonight to Essendon members, uh, he's the Essendon president, Essendon Footy Club president, um, that there will be a uh, football department review. Now, this goes for about four and a half minutes, but the explanation as to why and his view on where they're currently at and the areas of their football department that they are looking uh, to get to the bottom of what's actually happening. This is Paul Brasher in a video to members released uh, earlier on this evening. So today I wanted to talk to you about two things. First of all, our football program and performance. And secondly, the extension to Xavier Campbell's contract as CEO by a further two years. So let me start with football. As I said at the outset, we're not where we want to be in terms of wins and losses. I think you have to put that in context. If you think back to the end of last season, there we were having made the eight, probably didn't expect to, and we were all up and about. The reality is that uh, in most things, it's never quite as good or quite as bad as you might think. And that's certainly applied to this team. That we were never as good as people may have thought we were at the end of last year, never as developed. And I don't believe that things are as bad now as perhaps the win-loss record might seem to indicate. I said at the start of the year, that 
this playing group was work in progress and that that progress would not be linear. And that clearly is still the case. We've now played all of last year's top six teams, as well as a, another couple of teams who are likely to be contesting spots in the top four. So it's been a, a challenging draw, but that was fine. We've had some good performances, we've had some terrible performances, and we've had some in between. And we're working day and night to narrow the gap between those good and bad performances. Before the Richmond game, you heard Ben Rutten come out and talk about us getting back to that hard edge that he wants to see. Accountable football, high pressure, concentrated effort, etc. And I think you've seen a fair bit of that in the last two games against Richmond and yesterday against Port Adelaide. But be really clear, that is not enough. It's clearly not enough. Uh, I had somebody say to me last night, well, you must have been happy with the effort against Port Adelaide. You know, if you'd kick straight those first eight shots, kick four of those as goals and it's a different result. Maybe it is, but I can tell you that if you had come back on the plane last night as I did with the playing group and the coaches, nobody was happy and nor should they be. You know, we don't want honourable losses. We're happy about effort, but that is the baseline and we're looking to improve upon that and we're not going to take delight about losing to good sides by a narrow margin. We have to maintain that effort and eliminate those parts of the game that are letting us down at the moment in really important moments. So, we're currently examining every aspect of our football program. Sean Wellman, who is our football director, is overseeing that on behalf of the board. He has got a couple of pretty good football minds alongside him in terms of Kevin Sheedy and Simon Madden, who he can call upon at any stage. And as I say, we are looking at every element of the football program. The actions that come out of this review are likely to be incremental in terms of additional resources rather than transformational. And if you think about the priority areas, I suspect that you would be able to go pretty quickly to what they are. So first of all, player development. And I don't just mean development of the younger players, but development of everybody in this club and what we need to achieve that. Where can we apply additional resources to speed up and, uh, and, and build a strong base for development? Connected to that is the coaching around where do we need additional coaching resources? Are there particular skills? Are there particular areas that we need to invest more in? And we're looking at that. Support for the coaches, including support for Ben and the other coaches, you know, what do they need? And then thirdly, the recruiting and list management area is one that's going to be taking on a lot more importance this year because of the opportunities we have. It's always important. But this year we're likely to have reasonably high draft picks, room in our salary cap, and the ability to go into a, a period of trade, free agency, and drafting with a, a real head of steam. So how do we best position the group? How do we give the recruiting team, the list management team, all of club support to be able to get the result we want from this coming period? That's Essendon President Paul Brasher earlier on this evening, a video released to Essendon members detailing the reasons why there is a full football department review about to be undertaken by uh, head of footy, Sean Wellman. Um, all that uh, is up on the Essendon website as well. So if you're an Essendon fan, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. how does that sit with you? 
Um, what do you think the major issues are currently that uh, this review needs to get to the bottom of? And what would you like to see as a result of it? one 736 736 0 off the temper text. Temper, a mattress like no other. Um, shower thoughts. Let's get in to shower thoughts for this week. Well, you know, I'm trying to get out of the shower sooner. And then I ask myself, why? I mean, this is where I want to be. So I got a waterproof boat. I shaved, I brushed my teeth, and I ordered a pair of chinos from J. Crew. <laughs> when are you getting them? I'm not. For the man who has nothing to hide, but still wants to. So this is a thought that's been popping up in my head for a little while now, and more and more so as I'm following along Tassie's bid to become the 19th team in the AFL. And without a doubt, they should be successful in that bid. It would be the ultimate slap in the face to that state if the club presidents were to say no. And it's a state that we've continually slapped in the face since footy started. They absolutely deserve their own team without a shadow of a doubt and it would be an absolute travesty if they were denied it would kill football in that state it would be the final nail uh, in its coffin we have to make that happen it will be one of the most significant moments in the history of the game if they are to get their own team and if they didn't get a team I would be absolutely fine if they plonk a letter down uh, at Anthony Albanese's desk or the Governor-General's desk and say, Dear Australia, this is us officially announcing our resignation. I'd like to inform you that we'll give our two weeks' notice and we are packing our things and we are out. We are seceding. You have wronged us for the last time. Conversation as well recently around West Coast and how they're struggling and people referencing Fitzroy's percentage back in their final year in the competition. And then you think of South Melbourne and them being moved to Sydney. So it got me thinking... Given that the AFL was essentially born out of the VFL and then with teams in other states slowly added along the way to where we find ourselves now in an 18-team competition with a plethora of teams in Melbourne, and the argument often comes up there are too many Melbourne teams. And if you think about the AFL and especially Melbourne teams uh, in terms of what the NFL do, in terms of how what the NFL set up, for example... There are 332 million people in America, and there are 32 NFL teams. So if you divide that up, that's roughly 10.3 million people per team that you're basically competing to, to get as fans. I know that there's other interests, there's other sports, but essentially, that's what you're hoping. You get as many of those people to support you as you can to buy. Uh, and in the AFL, you're wanting people to buy memberships, people to buy merchandise, people to come to games. So in the AFL, in Australia, 26 million population, just under... 18 teams, that's a team for every 1.4 million Aussies. And if we get to 20 teams, it's going to be 1.3. A team to every 1.3 Australians. And yes, I know, other interests, other sports, but that's essentially the population breakdown. That's what you're competing for. It's a big, big difference in those numbers. And in Melbourne alone, we've got nine teams and one in Geelong. So that's 10 teams in Victoria. So the population of Victoria is 5 million people. So 5 million divided by 9 of the teams in Melbourne, that's a team to every 555,000 people roughly. And Geelong's got a population of 250,000. So 
that's how they've uh, that's what they've got at their disposal. And of course, they're going to get supporters from other places and everything like that. But if you did look at it in those terms, and you were to start it all again from scratch, pack it all in, wipe the slate clean, don't erase the history of the game. But if you said we are going to start this from scratch and build a national footy competition from the ground up, how many teams would you have, and where would they be located? This is what I've been thinking about regularly at the minute. So you'd have to have two teams in Sydney. It's the biggest population base in Australia. Would you have two in Queensland? Junior numbers are on the way up. Women's footy's massive there. But is the Gold Coast option a viable one in a transient population that is getting more and more solidified and less transient? But it's still, we're still, the jury is still out on whether that works. So you definitely have a team in Brisbane. You definitely have to have two, maybe three in WA, but let's just stick with two in Perth for now, two in Adelaide. So where does that leave your other teams? I think you've got to have one in the Northern Territory to give that a try. That's a footy heartland. You definitely have to have one in Tassie. So that's a footy heartland as well and needs to be recognised. So if you were going to start from scratch, you'd have one in Tassie. I think you keep one in Geelong. And then the question is, how many teams in Melbourne? I would think that if you were to start this all from scratch, and this isn't about who gets to stay, this is nobody stays. We wipe the slate clean, we, exp- we, we, we blow it all up and rebuild it from the ground up. I think you would only have four teams in Melbourne. I think you could almost divide it up, north, south, east, west, and go from there. And, with, and the fifth Victorian team would be a Geelong team. So that would leave you with a 14-team competition, and maybe it's everybody plays each other twice during the year and do you have a top eight or is it a top six or is it a top seven how would you rebuild a national footy competition from the ground up if we were to start it all from scratch so there we go that's the shower thought for this week love to get your thoughts now i'm not advocating for this to happen it's just a hypothetical if it was to happen how would it happen? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Or if you've got a shower thought yourself, an epiphany that's occurred to you while you've been having a wash, I'd love to hear it. one three hundred seven three six seven three six or zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen on the temper text temper a mattress like no other. Muzza in Geelong, our very good friend uh, Muzza. As I'm just still dealing with some uh, issues here, uh, let's see if I can get you up. Hello, Muzz. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you, mate. I've rang to ask a, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question. Sure. Who's cooking the dinner on Saturday night at you, on Sunday night at your home? Your your lovely partner or you? Because Hawthorne play Collingwood, and I know she's staunch Collingwood, and you're staunch Hawthorne. So what's going to happen? Do you have a bet on who cooks? Uh, responsibly, of course, Muzz. Uh, that's that is a good question. We will have a little wager. Uh, on that. What that will be, I'm not quite sure yet. I'm actually calling that game for SEN. Oh, and okay. unfortunately, unfortunately, and uh, her lo- beautiful sister, Erica, um, their little boy, Zach, is set to have his christening on that exact day at that exact time. So she won't be able to go or see it. And if you don't think that the rest of the family who are Collingwood mad are just slightly put out by the timing that- of the christening... Um, You'd be wrong. Excuse me, sir. Does that mean you do like the blind man and you take a pocket radio with you whatever family function you go to and you put a headphone on and people go, are you all right over there? And you go, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Carlton kick a goal and you cheer and carry on and they go, yeah, he's in normal stature. He's listening to the footy. But um, um, now when is the little bub due? Uh, 28th of July, Muzz. 28th of July. Oh, well, I, I wish you both well. And um, um, I was pleased with the Blues. The uh, the winner of yesterday was the crowd. 80,000 or whatever it was was wonderful. Um, and I don't know what we're going to do for backline. I'm really worried now. Yeah, I don't, don't even yeah. Think, I, I think I don't even think we'll make the eight now because the first six games after the or five games after the bye mm. are against everyone that's got big back lines, uh, forward lines. So yeah, I hope we a... can do well. But I just enjoy footy, so I'll listen. But uh, you have fun on Sunday, mate. Cheers. I uh, appreciate it. You're a good man, Mars, and that is the million dollar question. You know, do they even go for a, a key defender in the mid-season draft in like a Sam Durden, the former Roo, which has been floated? Does Jack Silvani go play back? Um, they've got no Mitch McGovern, as we know. And this is where, I mean, Liam Jones, you can have whatever view you want to in life. But at the end of the day, a team sport is about the we and not the I. Liam Jones made a decision for him, and it has really left a big hole uh, for Carlton. I mean, he he left that club, and now it's looking more and more, and this is not a personal attack at Liam Jones, but it has left them in the lurch when it comes to key defenders. So that is going to come back and bite them on the bum uh, for the next few weeks, weedering out for six weeks um, and to have surgery on that shoulder. Uh, Adam in Fremantle, stay right there. There's some text coming through. I'll reiterate what I was saying before. It's a hypothetical, and I'm not asking which teams stay. I'm asking if you would have start a national competition for footy from scratch, given that the AFL was born out of the VFL. If you were to start it all from scratch, how many teams would you actually have in Melbourne? I've said four and one in Geelong. You give me yours. one 736 Sporting Capital, SEN. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, welcome back to Sporting Capital, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 A few off the text. Uh, Emad saying, I believe what I've just played to Paul Brasher was an honest and transparent summation of where Essendon is at at the moment. It appears that they are aware of the issues and there must be work happening behind the scenes. The biggest factor in the Bombers' win-loss record this year has been the injuries. So many key players. No Stringer, Jones, Langford, Snelling, Cox, Stewart, Tipper, Hurley for the majority of the year. No Carl Hooker either. Uh, Blues, uh, who's retired. Blues and Demon, now Tip and Woody retiring too. Blues and Demons found out on the weekend how tough it was when they lost one key defender. Watch the second half of the year. I'm worried about reviews being done mid-year. We saw that had a really unsettling effect at Carlton last year when that review was taking place and you hope that the same thing doesn't happen uh, at Essendon. Uh, a couple of people after my shower thought about how would you set up a brand new competition if you were to blow it all up, start from scratch, a national competition in the AFL. How many teams would you actually have uh, in Melbourne? Uh, Dean says, blow it up, start again. Every state to have one team, including NT Crocs and ACT Razorbacks. Tassie Devils in immediately. Brand new stadiums in every straight state with retractable roofs. Uh, Alex says four teams means keep Collingwood, Carlton, Essendon, Richmond. No Melbourne, Hawthorne makes no sense. Means Hawthorne moved to Tassie. Melbourne has to stay. Alex, I'm not saying which teams you keep. I'm saying how many teams you would have in Melbourne. No one stays. We're starting it all from scratch. It's a hypothetical. Just wanted to get your thinking caps on. Uh, Adam's in Fremantle. G'day, Adam. G'day, mate. Um, look, great topic. Really love Thank the you. topic. Um, yeah, no, it really is. Um, so, look... Um, well, do you know which um, state had the first football league? Oh, now you, is it was it W? I know that I know that actually there was a league in the eighteen hundreds in Brisbane. 
in and around Brisbane. At one stage, there was about 50 Aussie rules clubs and only four rugby clubs, but the schools chose to have rugby as its um, as their preferred sport, which sort of killed Aussie rules in that state at that time. But I'm going to say for the oldest clubs, Melbourne, Geelong. League, yeah, Melbourne's the oldest club yeah. as a league. Yeah, so who had the, the, who had the first league? Is, was that in WA? I feel like you're going to say it's in WA. No. No, no, no. I'm from WA. But no, it was from, from South Australia. Uh, yep. Melbourne was the first club. Yeah. Um, you know, 20 years later, I think West Perth was in 1885. So, look, where does it all... Look, I, I just sort of struggle with the concept of... Um, it was born, I think you said born out of the VFL. Well, the AFL, and, no, the, this current competition. I don't mean the game in its history as in terms of when it was played. Yeah, and how no, it played. no, no, no. I mean... The, the comp- mate, yeah. We're all one, mate. We're, hey, let's all wrap our arms around us and say we're all one. That, there's a real problem there. Um, yeah, the Eagles, the Eagles joined the VFL. Mm-hmm. They did do that. They joined the VFL, but yep. we were all still one. There was, you know, there was the preseason comps where where East Perth played Carlton. Or whatever. We were one. And we, we that's getting very technical. Like, no, no, we we were one. And let's not let's not pretend. Like at the end of the day, the Eagles paid millions of dollars. Yep. Hey, uh, I'm just going to run into the ad break, Adam. I'm sorry I can't move it. It's just a hypothetical, though. No offence was intended to be caused. Hey, when we come back, Sam Vecini, NBA Today. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, We'll cover off uh, the Western Eastern Conference Finals with Sam Vecini, senior NBA writer from The Athletic, and Jordan Canellis, our head A-League caller, will wrap up the A-League Grand Final. again, fires the three, and that might do it, Al Horford with the rebound, throws it up in the air, and the Boston Celtics will go to the NBA Finals. So that was the moment this morning in Miami, or this afternoon, where the Boston Celtics got their way through to the NBA Finals for the first time in 12 years. They lost 12 years ago to the Lakers, uh, and they are back looking for their 18th title uh, and they had to do it the hard way after coughing up a lead in Game 6 where Heat able to level it up. Uh, they went back to Miami for Game 7. With thirteen, with three minutes to play, they had a 13-point lead, seven-point lead with a minute to play, and then with 17 seconds to play, they've got a two-point lead, ball in the hands of Jimmy Butler, who missed the three. Uh, foul to Marcus Smart. They hang on a four-point lead. Um 
when thinking about who to get on to have a chat about this um, momentous occasion, they go on to meet the Golden State Warriors now, who are back in the finals for the first time since losing to the Raptors in 2019. I was very excited uh, to know that we were going to be getting uh, Sam Vecini, who is a senior NBA writer for The Athletic. His podcast, The Game Theory Podcast, one of the most listened to NBA podcasts in the world. He is based right here in Melbourne too, which is a particular uh, joy to me because it means that he's on the same time schedule as us. So it is a privilege to have this man with us. Sam, hello to you. Hey, what's going on, Sam? How's it going? Uh, It's going very well. So I'm watching this unfold today and I'm thinking, look, I thought that the Celtics would, would probably get this done in five. Okay, so we go to six. Okay, so we're going to seven. Okay, so they're 13 points up, three minutes to play, being so assured with the way that they'd um, executed their game plan against Miami. And then 11-0 run from Miami, and it's not Jimmy Butler who's doing all the damage. Uh, You were tweeting throughout this game, but it is Jimmy Butler with the ball in his hands with 17 seconds left. He pulls the trigger on a fast break three with just Al Horford ahead of him. It would have put them in front by a point. 17 seconds to play. He went for the hero shot and missed. They hold on to win. What did you make of it all? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, first and foremost, just what an incredible series. Yeah. What it comes down to for me, I mean, these two teams, they're so tough. I mean, the thing that both Miami and Boston do is they just limit mismatches uh, so, so well uh, with how versatile both teams are, on, particularly on the defensive end, but also on the offensive end. They have great shot makers, you know, Jimmy Butler for Miami and uh, obviously Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown for Boston. Ultimately, I think it just came down to the fact that, you know, Miami missing Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry not necessarily being fully healthy. It just kind of felt like, you know, Miami just kind of ran out of juice offensively. They didn't quite have enough to be able to get over the finish line. Uh, Just not enough shot creation. You know, you can count on Jimmy Butler for – you know, everything in the world, but if he's the only one you're counting on and you're in the Eastern Conference Finals, you're playing another absolutely phenomenal team, arguably the best team in the NBA since the calendar turned to 2022, I think it's just really, really hard to be so reliant on one guy, as good as Jimmy Butler was, particularly in those last few games. Yeah, I mean, 47 points in Game 6, he was the difference, and he still had over 30 in this Game 7. He had uh, 35. Adebayor gets the 25. But my question was was always with the Heat, Sam, who is your out-and-out number two? Who is your rock-up, night-in, night-out, game-in, game-out that you can set your watch to as the number two? We know that Jimmy Butler's the number one. Was it going to be Kyle Lowry? Well, they only got 15 points from him. Is it Victor Oladipo who's starting to get his way back into that all-star form that he was in a few years ago before injuries turned it around? He only had the nine points and one of seven for three. That was always the concern for me about who was going to be the number two to stand up in each game to get them into an NBA finals and ultimately i think that what their hope is is that it'll be bam at who's still very young i mean he's in the same draft as jason tatum right mm. uh, i believe that he's still only 24 years old his thing is that he can create uh, off the bounce especially for a guy who's playing center he can really pass uh can get to the basket can beat his man to the basket with his speed he's so athletic he just hasn't developed that outside shot yet and uh, you know as you know it's just it's so hard to create efficient shots Mm. in the NBA playoffs. You really have to be able to make the tough ones. You really have to be able to make contested shots. 
The thing that Bam Adebayo needs uh, as much as anything is just the ability to raise up and knock down like a 17-footer. He needs to be able to do it consistently. You know, Kyle Lowry, uh, I think that they were hoping that it would be Kyle Lowry whenever they signed him this offseason, but ultimately he just had the injury, and he just felt like he couldn't move out there. Mm. Like, there were times early in this series where I thought Miami was even a little bit better off without him. That, that changed by the end of the series, luckily, but uh, it's it's just Miami is going to need – either Bam Adebayo to develop the ability to consistently knock down jumpers, or they're going to need to go out probably and acquire someone else this off season. Now they, they have some pieces to be able to do that. They have some co- contracts to be able to do that, but uh, it is obviously uh, going to be a little bit complicated for them uh, given how close they are already in the uh, desire to bring back the team that got you here. Yeah, absolutely. And and when they look back at the numbers of the box score, I think what's going to stand out is that three-point shooting. I mean, Kyle Lowry hit a big three late in the game, but he was one of six. You know, Struess, who also hit a big three, he was two of seven. I mentioned Oladipo, one of seven. You know, um, one of four for Butler as well, who, who has, isn't a known three-point shooter. Uh, but they really struggled um, from the land of plenty and, and got anything but plenty. So there's a lot that they can work on, and I'm sure they'll be up around the pointy end next season. From a, a, a Boston point of view, Sam, we're speaking to uh, Sam Vecini, who's a senior NBA writer at The Athletic, and check out his podcast, the Game Theory Podcast. You'll be better off for it if you're uh, a basketball fan. From a Boston point of view, what what's their major strength that they bring to the table? We'll talk about Golden State uh, in a minute, but what's the strength of the Celtics for you? Oh, it's got to be defense. And more than anything, I think it is that they can match up defensively with anybody. Uh, they have the ability to go big with Al Horford and Robert Williams out there, right? Uh, those two can play together at times. Robert Williams, you know, again, didn't look totally at full health tonight, but he gave them some okay minutes when he was out there. They can go super small with Grant Williams at the five if they want to with, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at the three and the two with Derek White and Marcus Smart uh, in the backcourt. And that's a really switchable uh, mobile lineup where any one of those guys can guard any one of the other guys on the opposition. So it's just they have so many different ways to match up with you defensively, I think. Uh, It's why why I really liked them coming into the playoffs. It's why I liked them even back in February when they were the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference and had just acquired Derek White. They decided to go for it a little bit, uh, moving a couple of first-round picks for him. I thought it was a really smart move for them to do that. Uh, because they just have the kind of team that is successful in the playoffs. The playoffs are all about being able to create mismatches offensively for your best player and minimize mismatches defensively uh, on the other end of the court. And I just think that uh, Boston does that as well as any team in the NBA. And what about for the Golden State Warriors? I mean, it sounds like a simple question. What are their major strengths? We know Steph Curry. He's a generational player. He will be, um, when history looks back, considered maybe one of the top five most influential players um, in the game's history for what he has done, making that, that quantum leap in the way the game is played now and the emphasis on the three ball. But what to you are the strengths of the Golden State Warriors this year? Yeah, you know, uh, you have to point to the skill and the shooting first and foremost, right? Uh, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole has really emerged over yeah, the course of this yep. season. He's a critical, critical piece for them. But you know what? Like, I also want to bring up, this has been a really 
tough physical team in the playoffs. You know, both Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins, uh, as of yesterday at least, I don't know if today's results have changed this, but uh, Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins actually have the most offensive rebounds in total uh, among any players in this NBA playoffs. They've done really, really well just being Mm. physical uh, on the glass and creating second-chance opportunities. Uh, They're really good defensively, just led by Draymond Green. You can always trust they're going to be in the right position. They always communicate out there. They're just a really cohesive team Mm. that I think has gone a little bit underrated just in terms of being physical, being willing to muck it up if they have to, but then still also being able to rely on that skill level that they have uh, with Stephen Curry, with Clay Thompson, with Jordan Poole, and with Draymond Green, who uh, is a terrific perimeter passer and playmaker out in transition as well. Yeah, both these teams, there's an old saying from Lee Matthews, and I know you know your Aussie rules footy, so I know you know who Lee Matthews is. Um, <laughs> three-time premiership winning coach with Brisbane. He coached a premiership at Collingwood. He used to say to the Lions players who had a star-studded team, know your role accept your role, play your role. Both these teams do this uh, better than anybody. They understand who they are and what they are to the team, and the ego doesn't get in the way for either of them. So game one, Thursday, US time, June 2nd. It will be Friday morning, our time, we expect. Before I get on to a couple of other things with you, Sam, uh, who wins for you? I think the Warriors are going to win this series. I'm just a little bit worried about Boston being able to keep up offensively. Uh, you know, Jason Tatum is an incredible player, but they haven't really gotten the best out of Jalen Brown. Uh, I think that they've struggled throughout the season in general, uh, but particularly in the playoffs to generate efficient ball movement and to generate uh, shots. And we saw that late in the game uh, in game seven here against Miami, but it's been a problem late in games for them throughout the playoffs. You know, they've tried to go to this time wasting, you know, let's just, kind of bring the ball up, get it down to five or six seconds left on the shot clock late in games and chuck up a three-pointer or chuck up a contested shot. It just hasn't worked, uh, unfortunately. And I think that Golden State, just given what we've seen from them in terms of their ability to execute, I think they're going to out-execute them late in games. And in games that are going to be as tight as these ones are, I do think I trust Golden State just a little Mm. bit more. Hey, uh, for Aussie fans that are going to be having a look at the NBA draft, which isn't too far away, Sam, I know this is an area of expertise uh, that you cover as well. Um, Give us some names that you think from an Australian point of view, whether it be via the NBL or someone like a Dyson Daniels, who's from my hometown, Bendigo, who's been playing with the Ignite in the G League this year. Uh, Some Aussies that we could look to be taken uh, in the draft and how high? Yeah, I think Dyson Daniels is the one, right? Like, he's absolutely the guy to pay attention to. Mm. Uh, I have a top eight grade on him uh, in this upcoming draft. I I would absolutely take him somewhere in those top eight picks. I would be stunned if he got outside of the top 12. So he's going to go somewhere in that lottery range. And it's because, in my opinion, he's the best perimeter defender uh, among all of the guards in this upcoming class. He's grown since the last time. Uh, Australians got a chance to see him. He's now six seven and a half. He has like a six eleven wingspan. He can still play some point. Uh, ultimately, he needs to improve that jump shot. Uh, his form isn't bad. He just hasn't really knocked down shots consistently at any level, unfortunately. But it, you know what? Whenever you have the mix of very high-level basketball IQ, very high-level processing speed, as well as passing ability, the ability to be reliable in terms of making decisions, and that elite-level defensive ability to fall back on, you're going to go high in the draft because 
you just are going to be able to step on the court, I think, from day one and be an impact player. I love it. Uh, any other names you think um, might uh, be taken from an Australian point of view? Yeah, you know, Luke Travers is an interesting one. He's out with the Perth Wildcats this year. Uh, has some real defensive tools, in my opinion. He's six foot eight. He's active on that end. He plays with uh, a real uh, verve, like a real, uh, a real energy on that end that is uh, good to see. He's going to have to shoot it at some point. And I think he's absolutely unequivocally a project, but uh, he has a chance to do that at some point is maybe the way to put it. Maybe, you know, I think he's 20 years old. Maybe he can get there by the time he's like 23, 24. Uh, but if he played in the NBA at some point, it wouldn't be a total surprise. And then the, the other obvious name is he's not Australian, but uh, Usman Jang, who played with the New Zealand Breakers, yeah. I, I would expect he goes somewhere in the top 20 picks in this draft. He's six foot nine, six foot ten, something in that range. He can handle the ball. He's a really good passer. It's a skill that I love most about him, just the ability to make plays with the ball in his hand uh, for his teammates. You can see him not just making like preordained reads that the coaches have you know, kind of set him up for with set plays, but he's reading and reacting to the way defenders are playing him as a teenager in a professional league. Uh, it's really, really impressive what he can do with the ball. He's going to have to shoot it, uh, and I think that he needs to just get a little bit more physical, have a willingness to throw around his frame a little bit more. But I, I would expect he plays in the NBA for quite a while, if only because it's hard to find guys that are six foot nine that are this skilled. Oh, Sam, I feel like we're only just scratching the surface. We are out of time, but it's been great to have you on. Next time we speak, I will grill you on your AFL knowledge, which I know is very sound. But at the moment, given that the team you support, Essendon, is about to launch uh, a review into its footy department, we might save the footy chat for another time, my friend. But thank you so much. It's been great chatting to you, and we'll do it again soon. Well, this conversation was much better than the Bombers have done over the course of the last four weeks. So uh, it was good to chat, Sam. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Ah, sometimes things just don't go according to plan. Apologies, we've got a couple of little gremlins that are sneaking their way into the system and causing all kinds of chaos and uh, to the number ending in 601, yep, I know it's not cool, and I apologise, and I thank you for your patience, and I appreciate your understanding, and we uh, endeavour as always to make sure that uh, that uh, doesn't happen like things just happen there to ad breaks uh, rolling around in a row. Uh, where were we? All right, one uh, to your calls. Adam in Fremantle, who we got cut off a little earlier, but I did my shower thought, and it was just a hypo- hypothetical that I'd been tossing around, that given that the AFL now was grown from adding interstate teams to what was the VFL and then changing the name to the AFL, and then we find ourselves where we were today, I asked the hypothetical a little earlier in my shower thought, if you were to start a national competition from scratch, so blow it all up, clear the decks and then start new teams all around the country, how many would you actually have in Victoria? Where would you have the other teams, and how would the competition look if you were to start a national competition from scratch? Uh, It's a unique set of circumstances that has us where we are today with what the AFL is and and where it started in terms of its competition. Uh, Adam wanted to give some thoughts, and we got rudely cut off by uh, the ad break, so he's been good enough to call back in again. Adam, floor is yours, my friend. You wanted to um, give your thoughts. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Listen, North need to go. North need to and go? And that's not... 
North need to go, and that's not because I'm not sympathetic. I've got some really good mates who are who are mad North supporters, and and they're brilliant. Um, and North is a great club, but you know, there's a lot of great clubs. I, I'm pretty sure that you've probably never sat in the outer at Alberton, um, Fremantle Oval. Um, you know, mate, I'm nearly fifty, mm. and um, and I have been to Fremantle Oval, uh, Fremantle Oval in the '80s when it was absolute chock-a-block and grand mm. finals of 54,000 people. Um, so North Melbourne have, have less tradition, less members than those two clubs. So let's, let's not pretend, look, let's not, not pretend that they're any more of a club than those clubs. They're just not. Now, that's not for me to say that I, actually, I feel desperately sorry for their, for their members. But so South Fremantle have more Melbourne, members currently than North Melbourne do. Do they I think North Melbourne are somewhere around forty five thousand? They're not. They don't have forty five thousand. That's that. That is a facade, a complete facade. Because, and, and I'm not going to compare now. Because I'm, what I'm saying is obviously. So last year they had North on Melbourne, record as forty six thousand three hundred fifty seven. I, I don't know what the. I'm just trying to find this year's number. Yeah. Why, why do you think but that's what not I'd, true? What I'd say to you there, mate. What I'd say to you there is is the AFL had committed to opt the stadium in Western Australia and they pulled out on that deal, and that's on record. They pulled out on that deal. And the reason they did that was because they bought Etihad or the Dockland Stadium. They bought it out, and that's allowed them uh, to provide literally next-to-nothing memberships for those clubs like the Bulldogs and North Melbourne. And that's fact, mate. I'm a Fremantle member, and... And we will pay because of supply and demand. So Huge. hang on, Adam. You think we'll it's pay. Adam? So I just get a clarification there. You think it's fact that the AFL is offering subsidised memberships or fake memberships to North Melbourne supporters? Do you think that's fact? They, they, they don't pay. They don't pay anywhere near. They do not pay anywhere near what we pay because Eddie had owned. Sorry. But, so but what because, does it? What, um, hang on. The Adam, AFL owned Eddie. They don't. Adam. That's, that's Adam. What the AFL's ownership of Marvel Stadium? has absolutely nothing to do with what North Melbourne charged for a membership or North Melbourne's membership numbers. So you can't jump on and say that's fact when that isn't fact. Well, it does because the AFL don't charge. They do not They, they do not charge North Melbourne what they charge other clubs. In fact, they're subsidised, and that is yeah, well but known. You're mixing up something so that's got nothing to do with the original question. Every club gets a subsidy from the AFL, some more than others. But what we we're asking yes, the question is, so what, what, what you were calling to talk about was if we were to start from scratch, if we were to start mm. from scratch, it's a hypothetical, it was supposed to be a bit of fun, not to lay the boots into North Melbourne. If we were to start the competition... I'm not laying the boots. If we were to start a brand new competition, because this competition came about in strange circumstances. It was the VFL and then interstate teams were added and now we have the AFL that we have now. So if you were starting from scratch today, that's not how you would start it. So the hypothetical was if you were to start a competition, Adam, how would you start it and how many teams would there be in Melbourne and where would the other teams be? That was the question. Well, I'm, I'm trying to show some respect to you Victorians and say that I wouldn't obliterate all of you um, but I would say that really the ones that you know it's a survival of the fittest so unfortunately we know that North Melbourne do not have that membership base so what I'm saying is that they would have to go and look mate there's plenty of kangaroos up in the Northern Territory in there right and and, and not being funny but the no, Northern no, I, I, you're definitely not being funny I know that 
Yeah, 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 and you know that. So that would be if we're talking All about right. um, from a social perspective and what the AFL can achieve. Mate, what they could achieve in the Northern Territory is a lot more than they can achieve near Arden Street. And, you know, same in Tasmania. Now, you can't have both. You you know you can't have both. And Tasmania needs to happen. Oh, um, I agree with you. I agree with you, Adam, that Tassie definitely yeah. needs to happen. Hey, mate, thanks for the call. I hope you feel like you've been able to have your say. Uh, we've got some other things that we've got to move on to. Uh, I appreciate your patience in uh, in giving us a bell back. Uh, I certainly don't agree with you, uh, and we can't get on here and say that things are fact when they, in fact, are not. Um, the, the AFL's ownership of Marvel Stadium, just to reiterate, we don't believe that SEN has, and we know that SEN has absolutely nothing to do with uh, what North Melbourne charged for a membership and how many members North Melbourne have. Uh, this was uh, on the couch a little early today. Speaking of uh, teams that are in a bit of trouble, well, it is a team in the West that is in uh, probably the most trouble in terms of their on-field performance. West Coast suffering uh, their second 100-point loss at home for this season at Optus Stadium, this time to the hands of the Western Bulldogs. We know that they've had COVID issues. We know they've had injury issues, but they've got some substantial performance issues as well. And Gary Lyon, Nick Rewalt and Jonathan Brown discussed those on the couch this evening. They are historically bad. One of the worst teams, at least from a, a stats point of view, that we've seen over the last quarter of a century. I've never heard so many people say West Coast have given up this year. That's supporters, that's uh, experienced pundits, that's former coaches in our game, Gaz. I can't believe the amount of people that have said it. It's been a consistent theme, which is embarrassing for the Eagles. This is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful club in the competition, is right now one of the most irrelevant clubs. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's mm. a... I know it's a strong thing to say, but it is in terms of... If you, if you look at the Western Australian newspaper today, it's... Mm. They're not dominating the papers like they do. They're not owning the town. It's the fifth, sixth, seventh. You've got to look pretty hard to find anything to be... And whilst North Melbourne have been belted and Essendon have been scrutinised within an inch of their life, this side's been largely left alone. And that can be almost as damning because in the end you don't care. You know, you go, OK, what happened on the weekend? Oh, they lost to the Western Bulldogs. Yeah, thought that had happened. No, they lost by 100. Mm. Lost by 100 this yeah, side. And the Eight excuse- premiership players and, in the team. And it's an absolute indictment that the crosstown rival... Fremantle have just blown away the uh, Premier. So, you know, we'll talk about the, uh, the Dockers later on. Yeah. So, yes, circumstances, we've heard all the excuses. Yes, understand the COVID regime over there and some of the restrictions. But Fremantle, yeah. the direct comparison to them, what have they done? So the excuses need to end, yeah. don't they? And I they need to the get point. going. Let's have a listen. I'll have a read. of. Uh, they did a review at the end of 2021. So we'll have a look at their timeline in the moment. They're in good shape. They're in good shape at, at, at various stages. And then it's just dropped away. This is at the end of the year. We don't accept finishing ninth was reflective of the ability. This is the end of last year. To miss out on playing finals is not acceptable. We'll address the issues that we've identified as the major contributing factors in the situation they find themselves in. They went on to say everyone takes responsibility. This was after the review. Yep. But we can't put a finger on it. Uh, Gary Lyon, Jonathan Brand, Nick Rewalt on uh, the couch on Fox Sports, uh, Fox Footy earlier on this evening. Jonathan Brand also went on to talk about that there might be some division in the ranks and he focused in on uh, Jack Darling who held out for a long time uh, the AFL's mandate about being vaccinated coming into this season and then just before the season started uh, did go and get vaccinated and then did take uh, his place in the team by round two. It was an interesting one to follow over the pre-season, was it? I would have had empathy as a fellow senior player. would have had empathy for the Darling situation because I think everyone, everyone's got the choice. Empathy on taking a stance on a vax. Taking a stance on a vax, so personal choice. So he takes a stance on the vax. But when the, the, the shadow uh, looms up on you on the eve of the season that you're going to lose your paycheck and then all of a sudden you get vaccinated, 
Well, automatically, I'm losing a lot of respect for my fellow senior player. In this case, it was Jack Darling. So from there, I think it's a difficult road back. If I'm that senior player looking towards Jack, I'm going, oh, geez, I'm not sure I want to be in the trenches with you. I've lost a fair bit of respect, and that's a long way back. And I know they're strong, they're heavy words, yeah. but how else do you look at that? Because yeah. why didn't you just stand for something all the way through? I'm not sure personal circumstance, what the, what's happened there. Uh, is that Jonathan Brown speaking about Jack Darling and whether or not there is an issue internally uh, within the playing group at West Coast at the moment? Just one win for the year. Uh, their coach, Adam Simpson, um, coincidentally, was one of the special guests of the two coaches uh, on AFL 360 not long after. He insisted that the playing group was united and was also asked about his own playing future. Look, I've got a long-term contract uh, and... Oh, I'm so committed to what we're doing at the moment. I'm, I'm, I, I'm as energised as I've ever been. And um, we said to the players today, like, we'll find out so much about ourselves as a group this year and how well we can stick together, how hard we can work on getting better. And, yeah, um, I know there's questions asked. And there'll be a time where I get tapped on the shoulder and I'll be told I'm not the right person for the job. But I'm so up for it at the moment. Like, I'm, I, I cannot wait to get better and get on with it. It just, it's just going to take time. And, you know, we're, we're probably missing eight to 10 players out of our best 22 at the moment, which you take that out of any side, you're going to struggle. But it still doesn't excuse the 100-point the blowout. So we're trying to get better in, in that phase. But I'm not really thinking about my future or the, the short-term future of where I sit because um, I'm just not in that space. So... But that's not to say one day the club taps me on the shoulder and say, listen, you're not the right man for the job. That, that might happen, but I'm not. I'm not really not looking past what I need to do today, tomorrow, next week, next month. The draft, the mid-season draft coming up, and I think that's the way you got to live. Adam Simpson on AFL 360 earlier on this evening, uh, energised and not keen to head anywhere and up for the rebuild. It's going to take a full deck clearing, I think. You've got to take a broom to the joint. It would almost be everybody's on notice. You are playing for your future for the rest of the season. You don't want anyone to lose their job, but they've got an ageing list. They're, they're a slow, slow side, and um, maybe the standards, if they can't be lifted by the group that's there, need to be lifted with uh, a group to come through. So there's some big decisions to make there about playing personnel and the makeup of that list. They fell off a cliff in such quick fashion. you just got to remember, 2018 was a premiership. 2018. And then what has happened to them since? What a decline it has been for the West Coast Eagles. And now struggling for relevancy in a town that they have owned. Um, I've heard from people that grew up in Perth that it was a rock star existence. It was like the Beatles whenever the West Coast Eagles would walk down the street. Uh, it's not appearing to be the case uh, at the minute for them. Let's talk some A-League. Ben Garuccio from the right side. His left foot will swing it inwards. Leo Lacroix, Previch is in there. The cross comes in and headed towards the back of the net. And Western United have the opener. Two minutes in and the team in green and black get the opening goal. Wales toe pokes it out to Connor Payne. Left-footed strike. Clobbers into one. Alexander Previch! He's got a second. There it is. The boys from the West have trapped them all. In just their third season in the league, Western United are A-League men's champions. Where the club has come from, and, um, you know, we talk about last year, 
what a lot of people were talking about last year, how um, it wasn't a great year for the club. It's only three seasons old. And uh, to be able to do that, what we did, not only tonight, but from the beginning of the season is, is amazing. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an amazing feeling, amazing night. And I'm so happy for the football club as a whole. Johnny Aloisi, uh, after you heard every highlight, every moment, Western United's win to claim their first A-League title, beating last year's victors, Melbourne City. Jordan Canellis was that voice you heard uh, calling those moments to perfection. JK, hello. You'll uh, be seeing your money after the show. Thank you for playing my highlights. <laughs> How are you? No, I'm good. Um, this is a fascinating story. Yep. And you and I were talking off air about the amount of callers that have been coming through in the lead up to this saying, I did not even know this team existed. I mean, there'll be yeah. a business marketing course taught where they'll say, this is probably not the way to, to get some attention in the build up to this. But now they have the attention. It's mm. an incredible performance. It is, yeah. It's it's amazing for a team to win it in their third season. It's uh, it's obviously something that doesn't happen often in Australian sport. It almost happened a couple of years ago when Western, the Western, Western Sydney Wanderers uh, made the grand final and then won the Champions League within 18 months of being mm. in existence. But for Western United to win the league, it was um, yeah remarkable. They are a, they have been a polarising team in their short history so far because uh, when the, the bidding process was happening, they weren't the favourite bid from Melbourne. There was a team on the opposite side of the city in Dandenong that was had a strong bid. Um, so this was um, when they got the bid, it was a bit of a surprise at the time that they were being admitted into the A-League. It's been a bit of a bumpy journey since then with stadiums and, and certain deals. Um, but on the field, yeah, remarkable. From where they were last season, they had Mark Rudin as their coach. They sacked him at the end of the season, or parted ways with him at the end of the season, but it was he was moved on because they lost a that a losing streak of about fourteen games or something at the end of the season. Brought in John Aloisi, turned it all around, won the championship this season, which is just remarkable. And they are the the youngest team in uh, in Melbourne. They've won a championship. Don't think there's a, a a sporting fan in Australia, even if you're not a football fan, that doesn't love John Aloisi. So to oh, see yeah. him. Um, achieve what he has, put a smile on my face. Uh, yep. When he was at Brisbane Raw, I was living in Brisbane and would uh, would cover uh, a bit of the Raw for my job. And every time we got to have a chat to him, it was a, a privilege and a pleasure. Uh, he's just one of the good people. Um, and yep. he is uh, such a testament to the game. So I don't think there'd be anyone that b- would begrudge him. But it's an interesting list that they put together as well. Um, with I reckon they put together a team this year of players. And you tell me if I'm wrong. Like a Scotty McDonald, or when when he, but, but with chips on their shoulders and points to prove. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. They so the 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 marquee players they brought in from from overseas, the four international players are all, uh, well, three of the four anyway have all been really good quality. So Leo Lacroix from Switzerland, who's played in top divisions in Switzerland around Europe, Europa League. Alexander Prijevic, the striker who scored one goal on the evening, he went to the World Cup in the last World Cup with Serbia and played as well. So he's a top quality striker. But aside from the foreign players they brought in, a lot of those Australian-based players, yeah, they were sort of off-cut players mm. almost. Connor Payne was was a Melbourne victory player who did all right at the victory and then sort of did the journey around the A-League and landed at the Wanderers. Lockie Wales had been at a couple of teams, uh, Melbourne City and the Mariners as well. Then he landed at the Western at, at Western United um, and, and they've both become starting players. And everyone else had sort of been A-League journeymen who have all come together and... Uh, and have been pieced together in this squad by John Aloisi. And, yeah, he is, he's one of the genuine good guys of Australian football, Johnny A. And he um, he had said in the week leading up that 
coaching is his passion, but he didn't know where his in was going to be in coaching. He he was seriously considering leaving Australia to go overseas and find an opportunity elsewhere. He'd been working as a pundit for Optus Sport and then got given this opportunity when the uh, when the job opening came at Western United. So um, yeah, credit to him and, and how he's been able to put the squad together and really manage them very well. And hopefully now um, this is a team that will actually get out there and and you've announced yourself with yeah. with a title. Get out there and 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 announce yourself with a, a bit of visibility. And yeah. that's an issue for the A-League as a whole, and that's a much longer yeah. conversation. But extraordinary to think that uh, in the, the highest level of football we have in this country, there were people, even though they might not be invested um, and eyes-on fans of the A-League, did not actually know that this team was there. So, I mean, it is just a fascinating study in, in how to start a club and mm. what's possible. Hey, speaking of what's possible, uh, let's turn our attention to this. Ben Garuccio from the right side. He's... I'm, a, I'm really struggling to, to describe this, mate. You can, I'm really, really struggling. We had miracle men back yeah. in the 70s. We've got a miracle man as a coach. These lads, everybody has brought in. We've got miracle supporters. What we've done is astonishing. 30-odd years and I just cannot believe that we've done it. It's been written in the stars. Since halfway through this season, since Cooper's taken over, it's been written in the stars. The Reds are going up. And now you're going to believe us. Now you're going to believe us. Now you're going to believe us. The Reds are going up. The Reds are going up. Not the Liverpool Reds, Nottingham Forest. So this was a powerhouse team in the 70s who won big, big titles. They had a 1-0 win over Huddersfield and they cement their spot back in the Premier League for the first time in 23 years. This is a feel-good story from, you know, it's the epitome of how the mighty have fallen and they were mighty Nottingham Forest, and now they uh, improve their bank balance to about the tune of 300 mil. Absolutely, yeah. So the promotion playoff game to go from the second division up into the first division of football uh, in England is is known as the most expensive game in football because the amount of riches that you get from just <laughs> being in the Premier League through bo- broadcast deals and even just sort of prize money from being there, um, endorsements and exposure and everything, you, you get so much money. So for the clubs going from the second division into the first division, it is the richest game in football. And Nottingham Forest are back. This is a team that have such a, a rich history, as you say. They, they were twice European Cup winners back in the 70s and 80s. If you look at their logo, they've got two stars on top of their logo, which uh, signifies that they've won a European Cup. You get that honour um, when you've done that. So they've got the two stars on top of their, uh, their Nottingham Forest red tree logo. Um, and they were a powerhouse. They were a genuine big club uh, decades ago who uh, were relegated from the Premier League in 99 uh, the last time they were there. Um, and to back in. And I think the the overall sentiment from around the world was most people wanted to see Nottingham Forest back up in the Premier League because of the history they have, because of the names that have been associated with that club. You know, none more so than Brian Clough, one of the best managers ever in football. And um, and they're back. And it's, uh, it's, it's a great story. And it's a throwback as well. And we've seen a couple of those throwback teams go back into the Premier League in recent years. And um, Leeds United being one of them who had also been in the wilderness for a yeah. while. And now... You know, some people might be reliving their, their, their younger years by seeing Leeds versus Nottingham Forest in the top division yeah. of English football next season. Yeah, they've won a league title as well, and, and they were a decorated, decorated club. And just to hear the fans and how much it means, I was just been speak, we've been speaking about this all night about, you know, 80,000 back at the G. It, was, mm. it felt like footy was back for real on Sunday. Yep. And, and we know that sport is nothing without the fans. 
it has the the soul of the game doesn't exist without the fans being there. So that's beautiful moments for long suffering yeah. Nottingham Forest fans. Uh, a little bit more history has been made, which I want to talk to you about on the other side of this. You were really keen when we were messaging today about what we're doing <laughs> on the show. Your top priority item we will talk about next on the Sporting Capital. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Uh, a little bit of time left, but Jordan Canales has stuck around. Uh, am I actually? Yeah, you're on. Yeah, that's on. Uh, good to have you stick around because I know that at the well, I've got to of... be. I'm the producer of the show. Yeah, so. no, thank you for doing that. What a good guy. Um, you, we wanted to you, the top item on your agenda um, this morning when we spoke was Jai Hindley. Mm-hmm. Uh, explain to those who aren't aware of why and how significant this is and why it is such a big deal what he achieved at the Giro d'Italia. So he won he won the Giro d'Italia this uh, this morning uh, to become just the first Australian ever to win the Giro in Italy, which is mm. one of the three major tours in cycling. So we know how most sports have majors. Tennis has its four majors, Oz Open, Wimbledon, etc. Golf has its majors with the Masters, the British Open, US Open. Cycling has three They've got the Giro d'Italia, which is first in Italy. They've got the Tour de France, which is the second of the year. And then the Vuelta a España, which is the third one. They all are three weeks long. So you're cycling for 21 days with two rest days in the middle. So 21 of 23 days, you're cycling up and down mountains, flat stages, etc. Grueling. It's one of, it, they, these are some of the most grueling sporting events in any calendar year. And Jai Hindley became the second Aussie to win a major after Cadell Evans won the Tour in 2011. First Aussie to win in Italy, second to win a major. It's a huge. It's a huge milestone. It's one of the hardest sporting events, I think, a, a cycling three stage, a three week tour to win in any code. So this is massive. Um, Australia's got a, a a great history in cycling from um, from mm. uh, from Opperman back in the day to Phil Anderson decades ago to then Cadell Evans and Simon Gerrans recently. Well, and don't forget the Madison in Bendigo every year. That's uh, <laughs> a big history of cycling in Bendigo. A love for the sport. Unrivaled, and Absolutely. every year at Easter, the Madison, the place to be at the Tom Flood Sports Centre. Don't no. they do the they do the nationals there as well? Don't they? I oh, think they, they have. They do a bit there. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, all joking aside, so Cadell was twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Yep. So that's a long time. Yeah. And 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 what goes into for those who aren't aware, what actually goes into being able to compete at that level? I mean, these guys are, are some of the. So they talk about wattage, which is uh, you know they they measure their power in electricity, like how much electricity they can output through how much they cycle. That's how crazy wow. the sport is, yeah. And how 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 powerful these uh, these athletes are. It's a lot of building up. They most cyclists can only cycle maybe one maximum two major tours a year. So for Jai Hindley, he wouldn't be able to compete in the Tour de France, even though it's a month away or so, a couple of weeks away, because he would be so. Um, drained of his energy that it would just take ages for him to recover. Wow. So he's he's done for major tours. He might go to Spain and compete in the Vuelta. I think it's in August. So he might have a couple of months to recover, but he's not going to France because he's he's drained. So that's how that's how much it is. So you have to pick. You have to okay you have to be selective. The yeah. major this year that I'll do, I'll do either one or you know, or the, the two either side of the French. Yep. Yep. Um you have to pick and choose carefully. Yeah, yeah so it's amazing. So do I tour de France or do I not tour de France? Correct. Uh, do I go to Italy or do I go to Spain? That's phenomenal. I would struggle to keep a light bulb going if we were measuring in wattage. <laughs> same. It'd be a dim house. <laughs> yeah, same. Absolutely. The the thing that I that I hope for Australian cycling is that we enter this new golden era as well. So Jai Hindley, 
Ben O'Connor's finished fourth at the Tour de France last year. Lucas Plapp is a 21-year-old. He's the future. Caleb Ewan's a great sprinter. I think this signifies a, a golden era for Australian cycling. Well, mate, thank you for just talking us through it. Um, I'm glad you're able to, um, and for all the A-League update as well. And uh, there's a lot to work through with the A-League. We might even talk about that as they get closer to the new season starting uh, in August, I think it is. So um, there's plenty. Who knows, actually? Yeah, there's plenty that, that uh, confronting the A-League and where they're at uh, in their journey. Hey, thank you for all your calls. Thank you for all your text. Uh, we'll speak to you all again tomorrow night. Until then, stay safe. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.